The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. As you take a seat, I just want to mention that uh, Chad and I have both pre-ordered books for these studies, and so if you sign up for one, uh, we can get it to you this week or next Sunday, and so, um, or you, if you decide to get it electronically, just mark the box that says you already have the book, and that would be fine. So, in 1992, a group of historians gathered together to compile information about the history of war since 3600 BC. And what they found was that over the 5600 years that they were studying, only 292 of those years were years of peace. Of the 500, 5600 years, 5300 of them were years of war and battle. In fact, they counted over 14,000 wars that had been fought during that time. You know, the culture, that humanity that we live in has a flavor of war, a flavor of battle at all times. And it's not only a military, physical battle, but there are spiritual battles going on as well. When you look on the global scale, there is a battle against starvation. There is a battle for clean drinking water. I just read a statistic that every 90 minutes, the course of our worship service, one child dies because they do not have access to clean drinking water. And so there are global battles we fight. There are also national battles we fight. We fight battles against cancer, battles against autism, battles against childhood obesity. We fight battles all over the place. There are even more local battles. This week I read a statistic that Wisconsin, it's at alcoholismstatistics.net, that Wisconsin is the U.S. state with the most heavy drinkers at 7.4% of the population, and it is the U.S. state with the highest rate of alcohol abuse at 11.3%. These are not statistics to boast in because this brokenness brings brokenness into families and into people's lives. And there are battles being waged every day against this disease. I'm guessing you know your battle. You know your struggles. You know what you're fighting against personally. Maybe you're battling against bitterness or unforgiveness. Maybe you're even battling against busyness and the grind that that brings. And today what we're going to see in Scripture is the marching orders for our battle, our battles in this life, both battles inside us, inside our heart, but also battles out in the community and in the world around us. And so if you would please open up to Exodus chapter 17. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 16 today. It's page 59 in the Red Bible, if you have that, and it's page 115 in the Children's Bible. Just to give you, again, an overview of Israel's story, because Israel's story is the church's story. The Israelites' stories are the stories of Christians today. The Israelites were in slavery and bondage for 400 years. They cried out to God who delivered them out of slavery and out of bondage. 
He brought them through the Red Sea and crushed the Egyptians, being a picture of our salvation in Jesus Christ. He's taking them towards the promised land of Canaan, of land flowing with milk and honey, which is, again, a a reminder of the promised land that awaits for all who are in Christ and heaven. But between salvation at the sea and glory in the promised land of Canaan, there is a journey of faith through the wilderness. A journey that mimics our own journey of faith, where there are times of great refreshment, times of great trial, and even a time to battle. And so what we're going to see as we look at today's text is how we are to respond to the battles in our own life. Now, today's passage only takes up eight verses in your Bible, but make no mistake, this is a national emergency for Israel. They are on DEFCON 1, and the very existence of Israel is at stake. And they enter into the battle. And so let's read together Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 16. Exodus 17, verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed, and whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and came and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we come and we look at this military battle that Israel has, we are cognitive that there are many battles in our own lives. Battles in our relationships. Battles with addiction. Battles with pride. And these battles, Lord, we come confessing, They are too big for us. We cannot handle them. And so, God, we pray today that you would give us the marching orders for victory. That we might have the freedom that you have saved us onto. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning of the world, God created Adam and Eve, and there were no battles. There was perfect harmony. But Adam and Eve sinned against God and unleashed a tidal wave of brokenness and destruction over the entire world and over the heart of every man, woman, and child. 
And for that reason, Christians are called to a lifestyle of battle, battling against the effects of the fall, battling to bring forth the redemption of God into every sphere of life in the world. There is battle both internally to put death to sin, but also externally as we fight against the injustice and brokenness of the world. If you're here today, you are called into battle. You are called because you're made in the image of God, and God is a redeeming God who wants to set all things right again. And you are called as a Christian because God is conforming you into the image of our great Redeemer who is restoring all the broken things. And you are called to be a part of that mission by battling against the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our own hearts. But the problem is too big. The enemy is too great. And so how can we defeat the addictions in our life? How can we defeat the attitudes of our heart? How can we defeat the social corruption that is jeopardizing, providing people with the basic necessities of life? Well, today we'll see our battle instructions, our marching orders for when we face these battles and battles of many kinds. And the first thing we see is that the first thing we have to do is very simple. We have to fight the battle. Verse 8 says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. The Amalekites were a nomadic people, and they survived by attacking and plundering other people. They were like big bullies, or they were like pirates, but on dry land. They would go in, and they would attack the people, and they would take from them whatever they could, whatever was precious, whatever was valuable. Now, many commentators have theorized why the Amalekites attacked the Israelites, but I don't think it's that that complicated. Israel came out of Egypt with all the riches of Egypt, with all the precious jewelry of Egypt. And so they had a great abundance of treasure. Not only that, but if you look earlier in the chapter, Israel now had an unlimited supply of water in the wilderness. And so there were many reasons for Amalek to attack the Israelites and plunder them. We continue on in verse 9. And it says, so Moses, who's not at least 80 years old at this point, said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When Israel was in Egypt, the Lord conquered Pharaoh with Israel never having to raise a sword. At the Red Sea, when Israel was surrounded by the Egyptian army, you may remember that glorious passage in which Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. And then it says, the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. In the midst of their salvation, God was calling them to do nothing but to trust the Lord and his power. But in the midst of their spiritual maturation, their journey in their faith, God is calling them to engage. He's calling them to go and fight the battles. 
Now, as we apply this text, we have to make a very important distinction. Israel was not only a spiritual entity, but it was also a political entity. And as a political entity, they had the right to bear the sword. Their president was God. They were a nation, Israel, and they had the right to defend themselves. And so the people of God in the Old Testament had the authority to wield the sword and to actually take physical battle against people. But the church is not a political entity. We are a spiritual entity, a moral entity. And so we do not fight against evil with the sword, but we fight on our knees. We fight the spiritual battle. Now, this is important for applying because I don't want you to go out and start throwing swords around. That's not what God is calling us to do. But we still have many battles in our life. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we are told to flee from spiritual immorality, particularly the love of money, something none of us struggle with, I'm sure. And then it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And then it says this, fight the good fight of the faith. If you are here today and you consider your, you are yourself a Christian, you are called to fight the good fight of faith, to put to death sin in your life, and to receive the righteousness of Christ upon you and to live accordingly. God doesn't call you to be passive in your struggles with sin, but to fight the battle against sin with vigor and determination to the very end. You know, I have many, many, many battles in my life. A few weeks ago, we talked about grumbling. Evidently, it was a sermon that God wanted me to preach to myself and for you to just kind of overhear it. Because once I was studying the topic of grumbling, what I realized is that I grumble all the time. And my grumbling is a reflection of a bitter heart. And so that week, God was going to work on me to cast out my bitterness, to work on my grumbling. And it was funny because one night I didn't eat dinner. I didn't have time. I got home late and I prepared this snack and it took me like 20 minutes and I was so hungry. I wanted to eat it. And I finally got it. And I was going to sit down to eat the snack and I went over to get a glass of water from the fridge. And so I went over and I stuck my cup in to get ice out of it and no ice was coming out. You could hear the motor going, but no ice was coming out. And so I tried it again and again, thought maybe the ice has to come down. I don't know what it is, kept pushing it. So finally, I opened the freezer door to see what was wrong. And as I opened the freezer door, ice went everywhere because there was a jam in there. And simultaneously, this is not a joke, simultaneously, my wife and I said, do not grumble, 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 do not grumble. Because I was so hungry. All I wanted to do was eat my food. But I had to clean up all this ice from our wood floors. You know, I said this many times before, but I think it's worth saying again. I'm not worried about the Christian that struggles with sin. I'm worried about the Christian that doesn't struggle with sin. Because if you are not struggling, if you're not battling against sin in your life, it means that you have either waved the white flag and surrendered to it and said, I have no chance of victory, I'm just giving in. Or you have minimized the sin in your life. You have not recognized that there's enemy attacking you. 
G.I. Joe used to say, knowing is half the battle. I'm guessing you know your battle. You know your struggle. Have you waved the white flag? Have you given into it? Have you surrendered? Have you said, there's no way I could possibly win? God calls us to fight the battle, to fight the good fight. Of course, this doesn't only apply to us personally, but also globally and locally. God calls us to engage in the battle against the brokenness of this world. And to be honest, it's not that hard. The hardest thing about engaging in the battle of this world is simply showing up. It's so much easier just to live life for yourself. But God calls us to enter into the brokenness of our neighbors and of our family and of our friends and of strangers and to replace their misery with mercy. So God calls us into battle to go and fight in the battle. Now, if this was all there was, we might be encouraged and say, let's go fight. And we run out and we, we make war with, with sin and with injustice and things of that sort. But again, we will soon find out that the war is too great for us. That we are simply too weak to win. And so the good news is that we do not have to fight alone. But that there is one greater than us who fights with us. And fights for us. Look in verse 8 again. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Let's pause here just for a second. So Amalek, as I mentioned, they were like pirates, but on dry land. They were trained, skilled and experienced soldiers. They knew what to do to attack other people. And so Moses comes to Joshua, and he says to him, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, who was Israel? Israel was farmers. They were tradesmen. They weren't warriors. There's no way Egypt would have trained them in the art of war because they would have overthrown Egypt. They they knew almost nothing about war except maybe what they saw the Egyptians do. And so they were completely unprepared to go against this well-trained people. And if that wasn't bad enough, when, when Moses comes to Joshua and says, go take men and go fight this battle, I'm guessing Joshua is thinking, okay, these guys are untrained. How many months do I have? How many years do I have to train these guys to organize them, to prepare them for battle, to teach them technique and assemble a system of how we're going to attack? But Moses says, you're going to battle tomorrow. There's no boot camp, no spring training, no preseason. The threat is imminent. It is here. You will go to battle tomorrow. The reason I point this out is because the battles that God calls his people to fight, both internally and globally, are not just difficult, they're impossible. You see, even if Israel fought the good fight, they had no chance of winning. They were going to be destroyed by the the Amalekites. But the good news is they did not have to fight the battle alone. Look in verse 10 with me. 
says, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Now, this is a very interesting battle strategy, isn't it? You guys go out to fight. I'll lift up my hand. Sound good? All right, go. What's going on here? Why is it that when Moses raises his hand with his staff in his hand, Israel prevails, and when his arms get tired, the Amalekites prevail? Well, the reason for this, the reason why Israel prevailed when Moses raised his hands was to show Israel, to remind Israel that they did not fight on their own. Rather, ultimately, the battle belonged to another, that the great one, the Lord God, was fighting with them and for them. If Moses did not raise his hands, the Israelites would have been tempted to say, look what we have done. Look how we have been victorious. Hey, we're actually pretty good soldiers. Look what we did. But God wanted to show them that even in the midst of their battling, that he was the one that would win the victory. You know, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, it was obviously the Lord's work. No one said, yeah, Larry turned the water into blood. No one said, Susie, unleashed your frogs all over Egypt. No one said, yep, Tommy, he killed off all the firstborn of Egypt. It was obviously God's work. When they came to the Red Sea, right, parting the Red Sea, they weren't like, Joe, did you part the Red Sea again? It was obvious that it was God's work. But here they're not passive in the battle. They're active. They're using their hands. They're using their strength. They're using their energy. And so there's this temptation to say, we won the war. But God gives them this sign reminding them that the battle belongs to the Lord. Yes, you will fight hard, but without God, you will lose. And the good news is that there is one who fights for you. As we read on, we see just a vivid picture of the weakness of humanity. Verse 12, but Moses' hands grew weary. All he had to do was hold up his hands. They grew tired. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one side and the other, side, the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. What a great picture of our need, not only for God, but our need for community. You know, so many of us are, battling, are, are facing battles against sin on our own because we are simply too ashamed to bring it to the light. We don't want anybody to know. And Satan wants us to think, you can conquer this on your own. You got it handled. But God gives us community that we may not face these battles on our own, but we might face them with one another as we pray for one another, hold one another accountable, encourage one another, love one another, remind one another of the gospel, remind one another of who we are in Christ Jesus. And so if you are facing these battles alone, don't be deceived. That's not how God wants you to do it. He has given us a community. He's given us the church to do this together. You'll see on your bulletin, there's an opportunity to mark 
a, a box called triads. And this is a group of, of three people getting together to encourage and love one another as we battle through this life to gain fic- victory and freedom. We need community. And of course, we need God if there's going to be victory. Verse 13 just tells us the conclusion. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. I have a friend who went through the 12 steps of rehab recently, and he summarized the first three steps in this way. I can't do it. God can. I think I'll let him. I can't do it. God can. I think I'll let him. Now, was my friend passive in the battle? No way. He got all the alcohol out of his house. He would visit groups for support that he didn't have to walk through the battle together. He visited them for accountability and encouragement and to help them out as well. In the mornings, he would read devotionals, and in the evenings, he would read testimonials. It was a hard-fought battle, but what he had to find out was that he could not do it but that God could, and he needed to let him. You see, in our battles against sin, in our battles against injustice, it is simultaneously a hard-fought battle and a surrender. We are fighting against Satan and sin and the world and injustice, while at the same time surrendering to the power of God, knowing that if there is going to be any victory, it is going to be by his doing. Again, what is the undefeatable struggle in your life? What is constantly attacking you and overwhelming you, nagging you? Maybe it's against substance abuse, but maybe it's much more subtle. Maybe it's against bitterness or anger. Maybe it's a battle against unforgiveness, or lust, or materialism. You are called to fight the good fight. But remember, you can't do it. God can. Let him. In your battle against sin, the battle belongs to the Lord who fights for you. Now, not only is the battle within, but the battle is also around us as we walk into the brokenness of this world with the light of Jesus Christ. And what we see here is that God is actually fulfilling his mercy and his justice and his prophecy. Look in verse 14 and 16 with me. It says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek, from under heaven, skip to verse 16, saying, a hand upon the Lord, uh, uh, upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now we read these verses out of context and we think God seems very harsh. He's going to kill off a people, but we get kind of a context to the, to the attack of the Amalekites later in Deuteronomy 25. Moses writes this down. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. When Amalek 
Amalek attacked Israel. Do you know who they went after? They went after the weak, those lagging behind. They went after the children, the nursing mothers, the elderly, the sick. You know, in our own contemporary time, we would call that terrorism. There are, there are rules to war, which seems ironic, but there are rules to war in which you battle against the other military. You don't go after civilians. But Amalek was ruthless in killing those that were completely unable to defend themselves. And so God comes into that situation. He says, I will wipe out the Amalekites. I will bring forth my justice and my mercy for those who have been oppressed, for those who have been marginalized. And what we see is God does not wipe out the Amalekites instantaneously, but it happens over time. King Saul attacks him. He leaves their king alive, and then King David wipes him out completely. And it's a reminder to us that though there are battles that are won in this lifetime, the final victory is yet to come, in which we will gather around the banquet table with Jesus, and there will be no more battles. There will be no more wars. There will only be peace in which Christ defeats all of his and our enemies. You can't do it. God can. Will you let him? So just to recap, in the battles of this world, either from the outside or inside, we're giving marching orders to go and fight the good fight, to declare war, but to remember that we do not fight alone, that God fights on our behalf. Finally, the final marching order is to lift up your banner. Verse 15. Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. Now, Moses' response to the people's victory and the Lord's victory over the Amalekites and promised future victory of the Amalekites is to build an altar. Now, this was not an altar of atonement in which a sacrifice would be laid, but it was an altar of thanksgiving to give praise and honor and glory to God, to worship him for winning the battle. Again, this is extremely appropriate seeing what we just understood, that although we fight with our hands, with our minds, with our hearts, we are hopeless apart from God. And so appropriately, Moses gives the worship and honor and glory, not to the people of Israel, but to God. You know, last week we had the ordination for Chad. And there is such a temptation to to thank Chad for all that he has done and to cheer him on for what he's done, to to endure being assistant to the vice regional pastor and, and his trials through seminary and say, way to go, Chad. But Chad does not deserve the praise. Yes, he had to fight the good fight, but it was impossible apart from God. And that's why we gather to give worship and praise to God. You know, if in your life, you become a little less grumbly, if that's a word. If you become a little less harsh, if you become a little less self-centered, praise be to God. Because those battles would not be won apart from him. You know, before I was a Christian, I hated church. I hated the Bible. I hated marriage. Before I was a Christian, I had a dirty mouth. I was the king of inappropriate jokes. 
when I became a Christian, those all didn't just immediately wash away. (laughs) I wish they would have, but they didn't. But battle by battle by battle, the Lord was extending his dominion on my heart. And he has a long way to go. But he gets praise for all of the transformation. Because although we are called to fight the good fight, the fight is useless unless he is the one who gives victory. Now, Moses recognizes that God is the victor, and so he builds an altar of praise to God. And then he names the altar. And he calls it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Such an interesting name. I mean, when, when I think of banners, I think of like birthday parties or graduation parties or office parties where there's this big plastic sign that says, you know, congratulations or whatever it might be. But in the context of Moses, it means something a little bit different. So I just want to read to you from D.K. Stewart, who's a commentary on this. And this is what he says. He says, the word banner was not something made of fabric or cloth, but of a decorated pole held high and used as a signal marker. So surely this is talking about Moses' staff. He goes on to say, because Yahweh had supplied the sign of his favor, presence, power by the staff. In effect, a small military signal pole given to Moses. And had done so in the context of a military encounter. Moses stated by the name of the altar that the staff he had held high during the battle was the signal pole of Yahweh, a visible rallying point for the army of Israel in holy war. You know, our nation's most famous song is the star-spangled flag, right? (laughs) The star-spangled banner. And it seems weird to sing a song about a flag, doesn't it? Seems kind of strange to sing a song about a piece of fabric. But you see that flag stands for so much more, doesn't it? The flag stands as a symbol of our ideals as a country. The flag stands as a reminder of what unifies us. The flag stands as a reminder of those who have fought for us. The flag stands as a banner of hope because on the battlefield, if the flag was still standing, it meant the battle had not been lost. Moses' banner was his staff. And the staff represented the presence and protection and glory of God. It reminded Israel who they fought for, but more so, who fought for Israel. And so it was an emblem of hope to give them courage in battle. The Lord was Moses' banner, and he is our banner too. If you fast forward a little bit, we see in Isaiah chapter 11, this interesting statement. It says, the root of Jesse, who's the father of David, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. The root of Jesse that Isaiah is referring to is the future Savior who we know to be Jesus Christ. That Jesus is not only holding the banner, but that Jesus is our banner. That he would accomplish victory on our behalf at the cross by dying for our sin, conquering the power and the penalty of sin, and giving us a peace that surpasses all understanding and a hope of a future of complete and total rest from every battle on the face of the earth. 
And so when you face the battle, look to your banner, Jesus Christ. Lift up your banner, Jesus Christ. Give him praise and glory and honor for the victory that he has accomplished in you and through you. Let me end with a song, a song that some of you may be familiar with. I will try not to sing the song, no promises, but it kind of goes like this. I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, right? I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. What's the next words? Yes, sir, right? You're in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You're in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. You may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. You may never fly over the enemy, but you are in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. (laughs) And as you leave the building and enter into battle, we must remember his marching orders. Engage in the battle. Fight the good fight. Don't sit on the sidelines. Enter into the brokenness of life to bring restoration. Remember the one who fights for you, that you do not go and fight alone, but God is there. He is the author and king and redeemer. And then lift up your banner of praise. Remind people that it is not by my work that the victory has been won, but it is by God who fights with me and fights for me. Let's pray. Lord, you are the great warrior. And your battle comes to bring freedom, but also peace. God, I confess that so often I look to my own efforts, my own strengths, my own powers, And I forget completely about you. And so God, draw yourself to our hearts and to your minds as we engage in the battles that you have called us to. Lord, as we turn to your supper, remind us of the victory that we have in Christ. Remind us that you won by conquering the grave. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.